Welcome to Late Night Writers. On this episode, we bring you Best of Part 2. We selected the best questions from episodes 26 through 44. So enjoy! In this segment, we talk with Nicole McCaig. She is an equine realtor, and she answers the question, what should equestrians look for when purchasing a new farm? You know, properties are moving mm-hmm. in your area or your school district, mm-hmm. or I can say things are a little bit slower in your area. Mm-hmm. You know, in, in general, it is a niche market. It's a very small yeah. percentage of the buyers. So we mm-hmm. usually try to prep our sellers for a year. I mean, mm-hmm. and, and granted, there are markets that sell a lot faster than that. Mm-hmm. But to find that right buyer that appreciates all the amenities you have, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it does sometimes take a year. And, and sometimes, you know, it will take longer for mm-hmm. a high specialized property but in general you know we usually say to prep for nine to twelve months okay and then in the um, either buying or selling then too when you tell someone that um, looking for maybe that uh, property it's always I hear location 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 Mm -hmm. so what would you tell someone if they they're looking for something that they'd like to get maybe sooner and then maybe down the road sell it where is a good place to look I mean what are you looking for um, it depends, I suppose, like trails or what then? Yeah, I mean, it depends too. Like, if someone's planning on running a business there, is there a market for their type of riding in that okay. area? If they want to have borders, um, is there is there a demand? Um, mm-hmm. So really, it, again, it depends on what they're looking for. If it's someone who just wants to, if it's someone and their horses, and they don't have any other factors involved in it, you know, it's does that property meet their needs right now? Are you getting it for um, uh, what you would consider to be a good investment in the mm-hmm. time period that you're going to sell it in? Mm-hmm. You know, if it's a family and they're looking at something, you know, they're going to want to look at the area. They're going to want to look at the the school districts they're in. They're going to want to look at the activities mm-hmm. for their families and their children, um, you right. know, and, and is it a decent commute to work? Um, well, you know, so there's so many mm-hmm. factors mm-hmm. to consider. On this segment, we talk with Andrea Wise from Horse Glam. You may not know, but she used to be a lawyer, and she answers the question, what should you seek legal counsel for when starting a business? I mean, it's amazing to hear how people get started, because it's a, yeah. You know, I love startups. I love, in fact, like, one of the things I love about Horse Glam is all the startups that I work with, Mm. and, um... They'll, they'll actually, a lot of brands have like called me and we will talk for like three hours about, you know, you know, cause I come with like a different background, you know, I have the creative background, you know, I've done the pony glam thing. I, so I know how it works, but I'm also an attorney. So I have like mm. that other background. Um, and so it's almost like I have this two hour consulting, um, session with them about everything from labels or trademarking or just you know negotiating Mm. their vendor contracts out um so it is a lot of fun so i love working with them but i i would say that i guess my biggest tip would be to not be afraid of asking people um for advice because every you know it's amazing like how many contacts that you have that you don't know of that like Mm know someone in this industry that can help you get you know cheaper prices for this or they know like someone who has an in in this like huge tax store that can give you your first break or something so 
um, I wouldn't be afraid to ask for help because there, you know, so many of us are such great resources. Can I just ask you too, with your background of being an attorney and being in business, um, with people who don't have that background, is there anything that you would suggest that they would do or um, seek out an attorney's help, do you feel, on certain places? Or, you know, can a person just start and go, do you feel? Or, or do you have any feelings about that being that you um, have that background? I mean, <clears throat> I, w- I would eventually make my company into an LLC. And, you know, I don't, we don't necessarily need an attorney for that, but it would be good to mm-hmm. consult one. I mean, a lot of that mm-hmm. you can do yourself. And I mm-hmm. think people are surprised to hear that. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, like for me to form an LLC, it takes like under an hour. So wow. you, know, you want to be aware of that because you don't want to get charged, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. a lot to do that mm-hmm. by an attorney because it really doesn't take that much time. Mm-hmm. But um, I would just be really careful about like spreading, like sharing my ideas um, mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. people and, mm-hmm. you know, over email and stuff. I mm-hmm. would try to get non-disclosure agreements because some people have really great ideas and all it takes is for someone else to hear it. On this segment, we talk with Carly from Cavalli Club. She talks about how she curates the products that go into her subscription boxes. It's like I want to try every single one of them. So I started searching around for a subscription box um, that would show me cool products. It would introduce me to new things. It was like definitely mm-hmm. like a, I won't say higher high end subscription box, but I, I didn't want things that um, I already had. That right. sounds, uh-huh. but um, yeah, I was looking around for a subscription box that would introduce me to new products. I was basically looking for a discovery box, and I couldn't find it. And I was like, well surely there are other people like Carly that want this type of box. <laughs> so right. let me just start it myself and see mm-hmm. how it goes. Um, so yeah, that's how it started. And you just pick out your own, the things that you feel that you choose. And and how do you, do you look at, you know, how do you find all these different things then? You know, is it just your research or your friends or, you know, what what helps you figure that out? Yeah, so there are three different layers to the curation. I think in the very beginning, before I really had like a um, a diverse membership, it was really me sort of trialing products that I discovered mm-hmm. online, like mm-hmm. D2C brands, and also um, you know the bigger brands uh, to sort of like bring their products into the box. Now I have a membership that they give me amazing recommendations. They okay. say, you know, I, I saw this product, I want to try it. So okay. there's three um, layers. The first is seasonal essentials. I look for brands that you know, deliver something premium that would work well for summer or work well for fall or whatever. Um, The second is I look for um, brands that are cultivating a really engaged community. Like they don't have to necessarily be big brands, but um, they are just crushing it. People love them. They have lots of brand advocates. So I want to bring in them. And then the final, um, the final phase is looking for something really niche, really novel, really innovative. On this segment, we talk with Michael from Rider Remedy. He tells us about the common problems he sees in the equestrian world and how to fix that through exercise. Um, I kind of would like to help shift the culture of the horse riding community of what glimpse I've gotten 
which is you spend all this time and money into doing things for your horse and taking care of your horse and it's got 25 specialists for it um, and then you, you don't leave any time or make any time for yourself to take care of yourself out of the saddle and you kind of walk around with a badge of honor of being you know hurt and you don't have time to take care of this so first of all i think it's so important for anybody to just do something for themselves um, out of the saddle um, any athlete and dressage riders, jumpers, whatever it is you do in the equestrian world um, to do something. So I'd kind of like to make a shift of really helping people focus on make time for yourself because your horse will um, benefit from it greatly. And also you'll have longevity in the sport as well because you'll be able to take care of your own body. Have you ever wondered what it takes to be in the mounted patrol? In this segment, we talk with Lieutenant Hollingsworth about his equine training and experiences. There were ten of us, nine or ten of us going through training, and none of us had horse experience. And oh my goodness. Um, it was all bareback. So oh my goodness. our training before we got on the horse was he held up a set of reins, connected to a halter, and said, "Okay, this is if you pull this way, it's going the horse going to go left. If you pull this way, it's going to go right. And if you pull back, if you pull back, he's gonna he's gonna kind of stop. Sure. So and that was all we. And, That's all you knew. And squeeze him to make him go faster. You have got to so. be kidding me! That is crazy. You are so, one brave person. Yeah. So, <laughs> the first three days we were bare, it was all bareback. Um, oh my and we first goodness. just started walking around, and you know, rookie is new, and so. Uh, you take a somebody who's not ridden a horse before and put him on a new young horse that's a little bit a little bit anxious um and so as you start to get a little uncomfortable not knowing what you're doing you're gonna try and hold on what are we used to holding yeah. on with you, you know we you hold yeah. on with your hands yeah. so you start pulling. pulling with the reins well then rookie didn't like that because i'm pulling on his mouth now i know that i'm pulling on his mouth but i'm just trying to stay on top mm-hmm. and um so then when that doesn't work then you squeeze your legs and when you squeeze your legs so yeah. you know go you're t- you're telling the <laughs> horse to move forward and you're telling <laughs> Yo, to go 15 go. different directions at a time and wow. oh my uh, gosh. so so at one point rookie just stood up and said i'm done with you and i slid off the back and we oh. and that, <laughs> so well. we, we got back on and tried again <laughs> but a few discussions was, together yeah, the two of we you. did yeah yeah on this segment, we talk with the owner of West 20. She tells us about how a saddle should be properly fitted to your horse. When we talk with people over the phone and we don't have them in our presence, one of the things that we like to do is kind of give them a visualization exercise so they can understand the concepts that we use. So I'm going to do that with you. Okay. So if you could kind of recognize or visualize a, an arc in your mind, just kind of a slight arc, that kind of represents the top line of the horse. So if you were to look at your horse in profile, you'd notice that your horse has a curve to his top line. Your horse has a spine, he's got shape to his back. There's really no such thing as a flat horse from front to back. So unfortunately that doesn't correlate with the majority of saddles made in this country. 90% of those saddle trees are very, very flat. So if you look at your horse in profile and you see that arc in your mind, now imagine laying a two by four across that horse's back oh, yeah. or a two by six mm-hmm. or a two by eight or a sheet of plywood for that matter. It makes no difference. If you're putting a flat surface on a horse, there's no way to attach that and to have good contact without bridging. On this segment, Heather Christo talks to us about how to battle nerves before a show. You're so young, but you've done this for so long. So 
those, you know, the competition, you're probably so used to it. Is there anything that you would want to tell anybody about, you know, the, the competition and the jitters that you get or the, you know, staying focused and how to stay, you know, some little tips on staying focused, that type of thing. You're such a great writer. It's, it's, you know, but other people want to learn from you too, you know? Well, I have to say that I still do get nervous. Um, I think that if you don't get nervous, then you don't want it enough. (laughs) Um, I, I do get nervous sometimes walking the courses. Occasionally I'll even put, um, earphones in and just put music on that. I like to listen to, to sort of keep me calm. Sometimes what I get nervous about is hearing what, how other people yes. want to mm-hmm. do the course right. with their own horse. Yeah. And then I kind of doubt myself for a moment and say, should yeah. I be doing what they're doing? Right. You know, and right. I think being able to sort of stay within my own realm yeah. with my head, my headset mm-hmm. um, helps me to be able to analyze the course more, more properly for myself sure. and not be swayed by maybe what other people want to do with their yeah. horses. Mm-hmm. I have to just be confident in the fact that I know my horse mm-hmm. and I'm gonna try to do what's right for him. On this segment, we talk with Utsi about some tools that you can use for training. So how do you go about um, like telling someone for the first time, this is how your posture should be, or this is how you're affecting your horse. What do you do when mm-hmm. you have a client come to you um, in that first couple sessions of training? You know, one of my favorite things, Gretchen, to do is take photographs. So, and this is something that Mary Wallace, it's one of her tools and it's a really great tool. And I'll just look at the person. I'm like, okay, put yourself in riding position, like get ready to ride. And I'll take a photograph of them. And generally their bum is out behind them. Their foot's out in front of them. They're not responsible for their own body weight. And then I'll do an alignment. So I'll usually start with the pelvis, you know, teach them where their seat bones are teach them about how their inner thigh is supposed to be on the saddle, position their lower leg, and then uh, position their upper body, and just kind of put some resistances on them so they know what muscles they need to stabilize. And finally, one of the best canter banters of part two. Bethany Lee tells us some spooky stories. I was breaking down a course um, to just have them jump poles on the ground but there were still standards on the sides Mm because I was still breaking down the course Mm -hmm. and so it was a diagonal line with a pole and two standards and then it was just it ended up just being a single but I still had two standards at the other end of the ring where the end of the line should be and (laughs) she like fully jumped imaginary (laughs) jump (laughs) it was like a three six vertical and um, obviously Raina was not expecting that and um she's on this large pony and she's already a tall kid but for some she was like so panicked and uh the horse had jumped and just like halted because I think she was in shock too and um she's like on her neck sliding up and she's like Bethany Bethany help and um she didn't realize that she was like you know like inches from the ground so I'm like just just get up like touch the ground so that's like that's normally what what goes on This podcast is brought to you by Ram Horse Fencing and Stalls, the one-stop shop for your horse farm. Ram is family-owned and operated and has been in business for over 30 years. We welcome you to call in and speak with an expert about your next project today at 866-653-4444.
8984. Again, that's 866-653-8984.